You're listening to the Pastoral Calling Podcast with Matt Loverin and me, Jim Shamaria. Our goal is to start a conversation about life and leadership in the local church. Welcome back to the Pastoral Calling Podcast. I'm Jim. And I'm Matt. And here we are, episode 27. Wait, 26? 28? I think it's 27. We'll check that in post-production. <laughs> Off to a good start. We uh, are doing something this week for this episode that we haven't done for a long time. That is, we are going to be interviewing a guest. A guest other than Joe Johnson. Other than Joe Johnson. Last time Joe was here, he was just here as a friend, not as a guest. But now we have a real guest coming in. Yeah, our friend is Chris DeBlay, who is a pastor of The Branch in Grand Rapids on 28th Street, and he'll talk about his ministry. <laughs> and 28th Street. And the vicinity of his church on 28th Street. Yeah. You know Chris from the the gym you work out at, yeah? Yeah, he's a member at 8th Day Gym, and so I've had the, the privilege of getting to know him and his wife, Bethany, and their family in and around the gym for a number of years now, and they're, they're just really a bright light in that community. Yeah, and he, uh, he's got a really cool, fresh, helpful perspective on pastoring and ministering. He's in a small church, about 100 people, uh, and just really is a part of that community. And I'm excited for us all to, to be able to hear what he has to say and, and learn from him. What else do we have going on on the podcast? Well, we got a couple things coming up. We have our Dr. Sam series, which we'll be recording in about a month from now. So we're looking forward to that. We have another, we have a lineup of guests that we haven't actually talked to yet, but we want them to be on the podcast. Sort of like our, our dream list of yeah, the next eight Our guests. all-star team, which include people such as, well, should we call them out here? That way they kind of have to do it. Yeah, I mean, if they're listening, they yeah. might not even be listeners that's, to the podcast <laughs> regularly. We want to have our friend Mason on. Uh, Mason is is a, a good friend of mine who about two or three years ago was diagnosed with cancer and went through that whole kind of cancer treatment process. And I think it would be great for us to talk to him about what that's actually like. Because if you are a pastor and have been a pastor for any amount of time, you have journeyed with someone through cancer and I think it's great to hear what that actually is like. And so we'd like to have Mason on. Who else, Matt? Well, we've got my friend and mentor. I should say our mutual friend. Yeah. Uh, Kevin Krause from yes. Australia. Good day, mate. There it is. <laughs> we were missing that from this episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so he uh, is a longtime friend, was really... Uh, instrumental and a formational figure when I first came to Grace Bible College way back in the 1990s and uh, since has been uh, a missionary, kind of a non-traditional missionary effort in Australia and uh, since got into the coffee industry and now is um, uh, barista and coffee roaster and uh, business person. Barista to the stars. Yeah, I mean, uh, he's in, in... the coffee industry in Australia. Yeah. I think of him as like one of the top dogs. Top dogs, yeah. But he's going to come hopefully and, and share with us a little bit about his story with the the church, the community that he led, pastored, guided in Australia, Australia called Marsdale Cafe. And uh, I think that'll be great to kind of hear the ups and downs that come along with, with doing something like that in, in a very... In many ways, different con- cultural context than what we are, but a lot of ways are the same, I think, especially to the United States now in 2020 and Australia in the mid to late 90s when Kevin was, was doing his thing. I think there's a lot of parallels. Yeah, that'll be a really challenging kind of disruptive episode of the podcast. Yeah. It'll make us think differently about some things for sure. Just yesterday, I had lunch with my friend uh, Pete Capon, who is a longtime friend and Pete is now a licensed counselor. And as we were having lunch, we were talking about um, just the importance of what he calls the frame, uh, which is boundaries, you know, put on any sort of relationship. And uh, as we were talking, it's like, this is something that we want to have on the podcast. And so he's going to come on and we'll talk about kind of the role of boundaries and how boundaries in any sort of relationship are 
are freeing and healthy for both uh, both parties. So especially as a pastor, kind of learning what that what that looks like. So we'll get that lined up. Yeah. Well, that's enough about us talking about people that we're going to talk about later. The Dreamcast. The Dreamcast. <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember the Sega Dreamcast? I had realized what I was saying. That was right like after I said it. Yeah, I never had a Dreamcast. I had the Genesis. No, well, there was one after the Sega Genesis, and it was um, I don't remember what it was called now, but it was great. It was kind of like not quite better than just a normal Sega, but better enough that you you know you'd want to buy it. You knew. You yeah. could tell the difference. I gotta f- I gotta find out what that was called. If you know, send us a tweet and tell us what that video game system is called. Uh, so that that's stuff coming up. But we do have this episode uh, that we want to um, get you into. But before we do that, one more thing we want to talk about. This is something that's uh, new to us, and we really don't know anything about it. We don't have any expectations of it, but we thought maybe we'd put something together and see if there's any interest of it. Um, many of you may have heard of Patreon. Patreon is a way that creators <laughs> such as ourselves... <laughs> <laughs> that we are creatives uh, are able to kind of get a little support for the things that they do. Now we're are already being generously supported by the Grace Gospel Fellowship, who pay our healthy uh, nine ninety nine a month bill for SoundCloud hosting and uh, purchase this beautiful, well, most of this beautiful <laughs> soundboard that we have. Uh, but uh, Patreon is a way that we could kind of raise a little more support for the pod, not for us, but to kind of increase the quality. We want to get a little bit more equipment, another microphone. You'll hear on this episode the need for a, a third microphone of quality, uh, but also just a way that we can kind of um, give back to the guests that we have and also a way that you can just be a part of, of what we're doing. And so Patreon uh, is a way that you can, you can do that. So if you go on patreon.com, and search the pastoral calling. You will see uh, that there are some membership opportunities there. I feel like this is why I could never be a missionary because you like have to do this. I don't think I could ever do this. This takes me back to selling select comfort <laughs> beds in the mall. <laughs> oh my goodness! Okay, well <laughs> we have these different sleep number beds now. You sold sleep numbers. I sold sleep number beds. What's your sleep number? Uh, I was like. Like 20, yeah. 25, like yeah. really soft. We're uh, in the market for a new bed. We want to get a king size. And we've been tempted by these these Casper beds. And all the podcasts except for us are sponsored by Casper. So maybe that's the solution. We just get sponsored by Casper and then I can get a free bed. Casper, if you're out there listening to this podcast, <laughs> we're in the market for additional sponsors. <laughs> But anyways, aside from from selling it, I really do think this is a cool way to like be a part of of this and to hopefully grow our community so that it's more than just me and Matt talking and once in a while uh, Ben Takama <laughs> likes our tweets, but really uh, uh, growing something. And so we have three different levels of, of membership that will all offer you great and unique benefits. Uh, the first one is a $3 a month. And, and you know, like, that's like, what, a cup of coffee, not even a cup of coffee at the places where I buy my coffee. Uh, and what that will simply do will uh, give you early access to episodes. So we usually produce episodes on Monday or Tuesday. You would get them on Friday. So you could, you could be ahead of the game. You could be releasing spoiler alerts for the Pastoral Calling podcast. You could walk up to that water cooler and say, <laughs> I don't know if you guys have heard what's on the Pastoral Calling podcast this week, but... <laughs> You're going to really like this one. (laughs) People are going to be talking about this one for a while. (laughs) And all for the, for $3 a month, you could be, (laughs) you could be doing that. So that's the, that's the patron level. The next one is the, the Hoopo patron level. Uh, I thought that was kind of clever. That's probably the only thing I gained from my Greek class. Uh, but this is eight bucks a month and there's some very tangible benefits from this, right? So first you get the early access to the episodes. You're the water cooler man, but you also can have access to our uncut pastoral calling podcast. You may not know this, but sometimes Matt and I say things that don't quite make it onto the (laughs) real podcast for various reasons. Outtakes. Outtakes, bloopers. More uh, accents. More (laughs) accents. If someone signs up for this, 
I think we could actually do more outtake material. We could. We would let ourselves go like, just off the chain just a little bit, <laughs> just to run chain. around a little bit, <laughs> just to get the energy out. Yeah. So for eight bucks a month, you'll get uh, the uncut episodes of the Pastoral Calling podcast. We will also have um, regular opportunities for you to help us create. So we'll throw out some questions to our listen to our Hoopo Patreons, and your answers will help to shape shape our podcast. So you'll have a direct line of access to Matt Lovren and to me, uh, but mostly just to being a part of the podcast. So so you'll be featured on more. So that's the eight dollar Hoopo Patron. $12 a month. Now, I know that's a lot, right? $12 like a Uber month. Uber Patreon? No, I called it the most patron of all. Because I guess I could have gone with Uber, but... It was already taken. It was already taken. So the most patron of all, 12 bucks a month. And that's, that's healthy, but uh, here's what you get. You get access to the Uncut Pastoral Podcast. You get to help us create by giving your, your, your thoughts. You get early access to the episodes... But here's what you also get. Each month, me and, and Matt, the two of us, will give some personal shout-outs to the most Whoa. patrons of all. Whoa. Yeah. I can get a personal shout-out for just $4 a month more? You can. And you could take that, you could record it, and you could like put it as your voicemail or something like that. You know? could walk up to that water cooler and say, hey, guys, <laughs> guess who got a shout-out in the Pastoral Calling podcast? You could do that. I imagine that could be the same person. And then the, the 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 final benefit of that is you can have an opportunity to not simply give us ideas, not simply get a shout out, but to be on the Pastoral Calling podcast. That's that's a big responsibility. Yeah, we are going to occasionally have opportunities for our most patrons of all to call in, Skype in, et cetera, in, and... Be physically present. Be physically present with us. If you come here, we will buy you coffee. Maybe we'll even buy you a cup to put the coffee in. Or at least Matt will bring one from his house and take it home and wash it afterwards. A mug will be provided yeah. for, the, for the coffee. Yeah. But you can be here with us for 12 bucks a month. So that's a slam dunk, Jim. Doom! He's heating up. That's like Vladimir Guerrero stepping up to the plate. <laughs> so that's our Patreon account. We'd love for you to support it. And and honestly, we're not gonna be taking any of this money. Any money that we gain from the Patreon will go back into the podcast. Whether it's buying new equipment and supplies, uh, buying um, I don't know, thank you gifts for our guests, swag, swag for our guests. Um, so yeah, we're not gonna we're not looking to benefit. We just think it'd be it's kind of a fun way to build community and to improve. Uh, what we're doing here on the Pastoral Calling Podcast. So hopefully you're enjoying it. I, I know I see we're getting uh, more followers and listeners, and, and we appreciate that. And if you're new to us, thanks for, for being on. And uh, we, hope you, uh, we hope you join us and be a part of it. And tell all your friends. Yep. And even if you don't become a Patreon, we still love you. Just Keep listening. Not quite as much, but enough. Krista Blay, who's pastor of The Branch in Grand Rapids, and Chris and I know each other from the gym, where... Gym rats? We're gym rats yeah, a together. Bit, a little bit. Matt's been my coach. <laughs> yeah, he's led me well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we do fitness together on occasion, mm-hmm. and uh, it's fun to have our both our families involved in the gym, too, because our wives work together with uh, a movement therapy group that they do for teenagers and adults. That's right. So they've worked closely. Um, we'll try of, to get them on. Yeah, I think they would, yeah, they would be great guests on the podcast. Better than me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but Chris has been a pastor for how many years? Uh, about 20. About hey. 20 years. Yeah. And so we're really excited to, to get to know you a little bit better as a pastor in the Grand Rapids community, really doing what we talk about on the podcast all the mm-hmm. time, which is small church pastoring, shepherding of a local body of believers, and all that goes into that as a unique ministry in your neighborhood. So yeah. thanks for being here. Glad to be here. Yeah. Can Maybe, you, oh, go ahead, Jim. This has been a while since we have a guest. We don't know how to joint interview somebody. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, so a, it'll be a learning curve. A guest that's not Joe Johnson. Uh, why don't you just, for me, because I don't know you. Yeah. 
can you just like, what's your background? Where are you from? When did you get into pastoring? Yep. Et cetera. Et cetera. Uh, well, I, you know, first and foremost, I'm, I'm a husband and father of four kiddos. Um, I've got two boys and two girls at home. Um, 16 down to 10 are their ages. And, um, we have lived with them almost entirely in Grand Rapids. And I'm a West Michigan guy uh, my whole life, for better and for worse. Um, grew up in the middle of nowhere, uh, in a place that no one knows. Give it to uh, us. Uh, well, I can't. The, the closest establishment <laughs> was Freeport. Oh, uh, wow. South, south of Grand Rapids here, maybe about 45 minutes a or so. A small town close to Freeport. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> we, we grew up in, the, in just uh, the woods and fields, and uh, I have three brothers. It was wow. a great place for us to grow up. Um, you know, From there, I went to Central Michigan for a year, then finished at Grand Valley. I was pursuing uh, and, and completed a degree in health science. My plan was to head into the medical field. Mm. And actually thought I was going to do that from eighth grade onward when I took one of those great little uh, career assessments, you know, you take in eighth grade. Yep. And the top two for me were um, a physical therapist and clergy. I immediately eliminated clergy (laughs) and thought... As you should. As you should. And so pursued that other track. Um, But then kind of discovered along the way, long story short, that that wasn't quite what I thought it was going to be. And it was a... It was a real crisis in my life. Too much touching people's legs. Too much touching people's legs. A lot of smells, you know, that I didn't expect, you know, things of that nature. Um, And so, um, again, another long story short, I ended up being encouraged by people to think about ministry. And I really resisted that for a good while. You grew up Um, in the church? Oh, boy. Yeah, that's another podcast. (laughs) I did. I I grew up in a faith community that was very charismatic. Mm and um, um, fundamentalist. um, And, well, here's my story. When I'm in seminary one day at the library, I don't know why. I must have been doing some research on something. I picked up the Encyclopedia of Cults. (laughs) And in the Encyclopedia of Cults, you like where it's going, I found the group that my family was a part of up until age 12. Too close to home. Man. That <laughs> yes, must have been so <laughs> jarring. It was jarring. I mean, the, I knew, uh, even as a kid, that things were askew, yeah. you know? But um, to see it named there was quite something. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I grew up in, a, um, in, in many ways a wonderful community that had a lot of... It gave a lot to me. Um, but it was also quite dysfunctional, mm. abusive in its power, um, and I learned a lot from that too. Sure, right. Um, so yeah, I grew up in church and and moved from that to more mainline and mainstream sort of experiences, and then finally a college ministry at Grand Valley that was incredibly formational for me. So then you did seminary at... Seminary at Western Theological in Holland, okay. yeah, cool. Michigan, and uh, did that right after college. So at that uh, point, yeah. were you thinking about pastoring already? Like, was I, I was, yeah, yeah, I was, although I didn't know in what context or, or what that exactly meant. Um, during seminary, I, I kind of interned slash worked part-time at a church plant hmm. um, that was kind of formed in the, the ways of Willow and Saddleback, you know, that real yeah. attractional model. Yeah. Um, did that deeply for um, about seven years. And including after graduating from seminary, I was hired there. And then this opportunity came up to start a church out of the blue, um, wasn't planning on it, didn't really even want to start a church, to be honest. Um, when my peers in seminary would be like, hey, you're working at a church plan. Are, are you, are you going to start a church when you graduate? And I was like, no way. Because I saw what it did yeah. to planters and their families. And I was like, I do not want any part of that, you know. Um, but this opportunity was unique. And so... Obviously, it ended up happening. So yeah. what was the opportunity? What made it so different that something you would say yes to? Well, um, the branch came to be because a... That's the name of your church. The branch is the name of the church, yes. The branch came into existence because an existing congregation called New Life Reformed Church, which was nearing the end of its life <laughs> um, and and with some help, began to see that and, and understand that that reality was upon them, made a very courageous choice 
um, to invite a new church into their space mm. and to say, we will let a new church start here and be here for three years rent free. Wow. And that, that was the unique thing. And we knew uh, the friend of mine who co-pastored and started the branch with me, uh, his name is Andy Drott. Andy and I knew that that gift would allow us to do some things that you normally don't get to try to do when you're planning a church. Because when you're trying to plan a church, you often have no other choice but to attract enough people to pay the bills, if I'm just being blunt. Huh. You got to pay the rent, you got to pay the staff, et cetera. You got to rent the building, you got to set up the chairs and take down the chairs every Sunday. Got to do all that jazz, right? And this gave us freedom to try some different things. Um, and so we, we were really intrigued by it. Throw our hat in the ring, as you do in our denomination, you write a proposal and a plan. And I, we thought it was a good plan because we were a bit cocky as 27-year-olds. <laughs> um, but I, we also thought this is a bit far out there for our denomination, and they're yeah. probably not going to say yes to this. And it's, again, you can guess, they did. They did say yes and um, with joy. And so, um, yeah, that's kind of how we came into being. So what is the denominational affiliation of the branch? We're a part of the Reformed Church in America. Okay. Yep. And you're like a mile from their headquarters, right? Or is that the other one? That's the other one. Oh. That's the strange oh. sister. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. That's just, are they that's... the good are you the good guys or the bad guys? <laughs> I'm not no sure. comment. No okay. comment. That's a Christian Reformed Church down the road. Although the RCA's uh, main offices are um, Five miles away. Okay, so yeah. you're close enough. We're close. Right? We're yeah, close yeah. enough to the mothership. Mm -hmm. Next podcast is uh, <laughs> denominational history. So I, I'm really intrigued by what you said about uh, how you were able to have these new opportunities because you didn't have to focus on attracting people to the church. I think that's that's very intriguing. Can you just talk a little bit more about that? Like, what what was that like? What was... Yeah. Um, what did that allow you to do? Mm -hmm. You know, because you said you were maybe influenced and formed by work in like the church growth movement, Willow Creek, Bonds type yep. thing, which is obviously like the other end of the spectrum. It is, right? Yep. yep. So, how did that world kind of, what was that kind of mixture like? Yeah, well, I think. Um, long before the branch even started, Andy and I were were having coffee every week. It, we we kind of made a commitment to each other to, to meet and, and try and share life. And inevitably, our conversation went to the church and what it was and what it wasn't yeah. in North America, what we were noticing about it. What, when was this? This was um, like early 2000s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. And um, so when this opportunity came up, what for us that meant was we, we now had the chance to try and grow less through marketing yeah. and a really kind of polished Sunday morning experience and more through service, relationship, um, yeah, a slow, organic sort of growth. Yeah. Um, and we, we also thought we maybe had a chance to try and reclaim some sense of parish. Hmm. Um, so instead of trying to focus on a demographic, we were trying to focus more on a geography now, people who come to the branch do come from kind of all over the metro area, but a large portion of our people do live within a couple miles of that building yeah. and intentionally want to be a part of something where they live, you know, this part of the world that they find themselves. So I think those were some of the things that we felt like we would maybe have a chance to try to do a, a slower growth, a more relationally based growth, um, and, and less marketing and, and kind of, again, polished also less programming. Yeah. That was the other piece. We, we looked at um, a, a very common North American church plant and saw it to be over-programmed, mm. so much so that people had no space in their life anymore for mission. Uh, they didn't have time to have a barbecue in their neighborhood because they had to be at church three nights a week. And so, I mean, every church has to have some systems and programs in place to, to do certain things. I, I think that's... It's not that they're all bad, but we try not to over-program and try to leave space for people to, to pay attention to what was happening in their life around them and respond to that with the love of Christ in whatever, you know, whatever way made sense. Yeah, and that way they can really be like the gospel or the, the carriers of the gospel into their own lives and their own neighborhoods. You're not depending on that weekly ministry to 
get the gospel to people because people are going right. out, right? That, that was the hope. Yep, that was the hope. Really a strong sense on being sent into the world. Mm-hmm. Um, right, and, and this was happening early 2000s, late 1990s. This is right. the emergent conversation, yeah. right? Missionals becoming a buzzword. And yeah. so I think we were certainly influenced by that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh, how do you go about making a church that is kind of focused on a parish? Like, what are some things that you did differently to, like, really intentionally push towards that? Like, my community, my locale, like, what what did you say? Focused on a geography rather than a demographic. demographic, yeah. Well, I think for us, one of the first things we did was we tried to network um, and, and use what relationships we had to learn. Who do we know or who do we know who knows someone who lives in this particular part of Grand Rapids? Right across from the Mr. Car Wash, right? Right, right across yeah. from Mr. Car Sharing a parking lot with Aaron's Rental if you need a TV <laughs> for a week. Yeah, we can... Don't do that. Um, there are a number of interesting shops in, there your, in your neighborhood on 28th Street. There. I will, I will the shades say. are down, don't ask. <laughs> I'll just tell you, when people are like, where on 28th Street are you? And this conversation has happened dozens and dozens of times. And I try to describe where we are in a benign way. Yeah. Finally, I say we are a couple lots down from the Velvet Touch. And everyone goes, oh, yeah, I know where you are. You know, for so, those, We never to go there, but no, we know we right where that is. For those of our listeners who are not in the Grand Rapids area, <laughs> that portion of 28th Street, has, I don't know if we'd say the word seedy, but it's... Uh, it's a it's a has a unique feel to it. it. Does it could use some some revitalization? <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Got a new fish fry though. Oh, that is good. If you haven't been there, in some barbecue shops that pull up, you know. Oh yeah, Sandman's uh, is now down there so, for I'm sure. You. For sure. That yeah. was like a tragedy when Sandman's closed, mm-hmm. and and then we thought it was over, but then it shows up like right in it front of your place. The parking lot. Yep. And there you are, barbecue folks. Yep. Yeah, yep. Know about it. Okay, so networking with the community. Yeah, so trying to write, um, ha- how can our core team come out of people who live here? And then what can they tell us? They're living here. We weren't at the time. We yeah. moved there uh, into the neighborhood. But, you know, what can you tell us? So letting the people who lived there influence hmm. our mission, our sense of what programming, quote unquote, are we going to do? Um, I think another thing we did is we tried to lean into uh, existing organizations that were already present in the neighborhood. Hmm. And so, you know, one step we took was to try and, and intentionally be in relationship with the other pastors in the neighborhood. Yeah. You know, as you mean your rivals, our rivals. Yeah. The ones your we were fighting for. Oh man. And we were fierce. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so that for us was significant to say, we are going to not choose that. Yeah. Um, and largely I would say that, um, the, the pastors in the area were receptive to that hmm. and said, yeah, let's, let's meet. And that's where it started. We started meeting just as pastors. And then we started dreaming together about what it would be like to partner in ministry. Can we pull our resources? You know, how can we do that? Um, so that was an intentional choice to try and lean into what was already there. Yeah. Yeah. And so you're friends with Kizambo Kalambula, who's yeah. a pastor at Tabernacle Community Church. I love him. Former yeah. guest on the podcast. Former guest. I think probably our most listened to episode. Oh, yeah? That's not surprising. Mostly just because he has way more contacts and friends than we do. So they're not <laughs> listening for us. <laughs> we'll Send those links that. out. Yeah, the networking <laughs> piece was there. But also, as I remember that conversation, such a great focus on, you know, like you, like you talked about, like, focusing on our community and our neighborhood ministry mm. and uh, intentionally multi-ethnic because mm. that's the demographic of that mm-hmm. Alger Heights neighborhood. Yep. And um, really a beautiful story about being the church in the local community, not the attractional model. Yeah, they have been a model for us. Um, they have been an example for us of how to do that well. Both he and Artie um, are... That is their heart and their giftedness. And so, again, for us, you know, we thought, oh, well, let's lean into these relationships because it's good for um, us being connected. And I think we saw it. uh, I don't know. What I'm trying to say is that (laughs) once we got into it, we realized, oh, my goodness, you have so much to offer to us. Mm. This isn't just about us showing up and offering what we have. Wow. You know, you are such good, wise people. How can we learn from you and how can we partner together? Yeah. Mm. And so you have a smaller church, around yep. 100 people, yep. you mentioned. Yep. And that means that you're bivocational on a level. So can you talk about that a little bit? I'm really curious to hear about that. Yeah. 
Well, so I would say, you know, back kind of to the beginning of our conversation, when we began, we knew that having rent-free space was significant, but um, we wanted to co-pastor together. So this was part of our, our hope and our model. And again, I think going back to what I said, of seeing all these church planters burn out and get so consumed by the work and having their families take the hit and all that stuff. We felt that if we co-pastored together, Andy and I, um, we maybe could avoid some of that. Uh, Andy and I are and were very different people, very different giftedness, perspectives, personalities, which we thought was a gift, and it turned out to be. Um, but the, in order to co-pastor, we couldn't do two full-time salaries. Right. Right. So... Um, we placed co-pastorship above full-time hmm. employment, said that it is worth finding other work, both for us as co-pastors and also for our congregation to not place a financial burden on them that is probably um, unrealistic to ask of them. Probably detrimental. I would say so. In the long run. To yeah. The community. So we've... We, that was from day one, we're going to be bivocational. Um, and I think, you know, again, we were 27 or 20-whatever 20 when we started. I would have said to you, oh, yeah, we're going to do this for a few years, you know. But then, come on, we're going to blow this thing up. It's going to until, be amazing. Until you're really making oh, until it. until we're making it. And then we'll move to full time, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, that has never happened Although I will say there are people in my congregation even today who would like to see me full-time out of a, a desire to care for me and my family, sure. you know, but I have never felt called to that, to, a bit to my surprise. Um, for 15 years now, I've been doing it this way, and it has been a gift to me and I think to our congregation. Mm. How yeah. so? Well, for me, it keeps me... It protects me from becoming insulated in the Christian bubble. Yeah. And that may seem obvious, but right, like so much of your life as pastor can be just surrounded by other Christian folks who are wonderful folks, but there's a disconnect. So um, I have very similar experiences to what my folks have every week when they're out there in Mm -hmm. their jobs and trying to navigate their worlds. Um, so I think that's helpful from a pastoral sense in my preaching. I think it's helpful, but congregationally, um, the gift is that from day one, people have known that I or Andy and I could not do everything. Hmm. And so if something mattered, if there was something that we felt God was calling us toward, the only way we were going to be able to do it is if more than just Andy and I took ownership of it. It was going to require this collective um, commitment to it. And so the level of engagement at the branch is far higher, as I talk to my peers, um, than I think most congregations. And I... Out of necessity. I attribute it to that. Yep. And so I've often wondered, if I became full-time, does that (laughs) begin to shift? Right. Subtly, not intentionally even, just kind of, you know, does that seem... Does that happen? That's really interesting to think about. I never, you know, you normally think of the 80-20, right? 80, mm-hmm. 20% of the people do 80% of the work in the church, but that's because most in most cases, you've got a full-time pastor. Pastor's doing the other 80. The other 80%. Yeah. That's a, like a yeah. lot. Ever. 160%. <laughs> I haven't taken a math class since my junior year of high school. Yeah, we didn't go to Grace <laughs> Math College. No. Let's be for real. Yeah, there's right. There's often that shifting of responsibility onto that paid staff person, mm-hmm. and there and there's a perception. We talked about this last time of you know if you're working full time as the pastor, there's a certain congregational expectation that well they're doing the work because they have the full time job. When you shift that, it just it just messes with the dynamic for people, so that I'm not um, I can't be relied on full time as an employee. Mm-hmm. That's right. And so people have to pick up the slack in other ways. What do you do? What's your, what's your buy to what your vocation? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've, uh, for about 14 of the 15 years, worked in what's called the corporate wellness sphere. So okay. I've worked for two different companies in that time. Um, we provide programming and resources to employers to help their employees live healthier 
fuller lives, um, physically, certainly, but also emotionally, um, you know, handling stress, those sorts of things. Okay. For the last five years or so with the company I'm with, currently I've been doing human resources stuff. Okay. Developing systems and, um, yeah, that, that helped this, this is a small little company, 15 folks, you know, but helping them kind of get That's those things in place. That's interesting because mm-hmm. I always, you know how like uh, every week you have a bad sermon, you start to like uh, daydream about what job you're going to do because you're going to quit pastoring that week. <laughs> and I always think, well, what could I do if I stop pastoring? I always thought human resources would be probably the closest mm. thing that like, I have the skill set to do. Yeah. Like it's it's similar to past, pastoring in that you are, it's people focused. Yep. And and so that's that's interesting to me. I think there's a lot of overlap. Mm-hmm. I'd be a great Toby. I can see you being a Toby. Yeah. From the <laughs> office. Yeah. You could do better than Toby, probably. <laughs> <laughs> so I want to go back a little bit to kind of your your background with the church growth stuff that you did before you did your church plant. What did you learn from that? That is still a part of what you're doing today. What did you learn from that that you are so far away from and you don't ever want to touch? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm 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 slow to criticize um, or slow to dismiss. How about that? Yeah. I have critique yeah. of the church growth movement, but um, plenty of it. But I, I do think it serves a purpose. Um, I think it reaches people that the branch will never reach. Yeah. Um, and I think one thing about the church growth movement is that it often creates space for people who need to be anonymous. Yep. And that's a gift. Yeah. Um, that, that is really important. You know, there are people, if there are people, if they walk into the branch, you're not anonymous yeah. and that's tough, yeah. um, sometimes. So especially like for a season of life, you know, I think absolutely. of people who are going through trauma, maybe a divorce or something, and they just, they can't go to the church that they were at with their spouse anymore because that's weird and they don't really want to. And so to just that's be right. able to be fed at a place, I think that's... I think so yeah, too. Yeah. Yeah. So they create really great spaces. I think, you know, um, they do lots of other things really well that are important. We haven't taken much of the church growth movement into into our rhythms or, or patterns or philosophy. Um I think what we've done is tried to say that maybe the, what the branch has to offer is, is something different yeah. than that. Yeah. Um, and so you've heard me talk a little bit about it. You know, we, we are not overly programmed. Yeah. Sometimes that's frustrating for our folks or new visitors who maybe come wanting to see a certain type of program. <laughs> and we say to them, yeah. sorry, um, Maybe we could do that, but we're not doing that right now. Yeah. This is who we are. This is who we are. Yeah. And this is what God seems to be stirring in us now. If you're coming and you're new and God's stirring something in you, then let's talk about that. Well, and, you know, maybe. So, how do you, because like I experienced that too, and I feel like there's often this pressure, right? To like, oh, sure. these people want, I, I don't know if you have small group ministries, but that's like the main one. That is people a big one. Always want these like active small group ministries. It just has never worked at our church, and it was like always this pressure that hung over my head. Like, ah, we got to have these small groups. We got to have these small groups. This is what people want. This is what people need. This is what I'm told I'm supposed to have. This is what everybody's doing. Yeah, yeah. and it was a big freeing moment for me when I just kind of got to the point where it's like, it's okay that we don't have small groups, and we don't have to have small groups. Yet, there's still that's still the question everybody wants when they come. Yeah. And so, I would echo that. I think that's yeah. the main one we hear too. Um, and we've had to not write those off entirely, but to say at this moment in time, for a variety of reasons, it, it doesn't seem to be what God is kind of inviting us to do or what we have to offer the world, yeah. and, you know, um, at this particular moment. So, um, but that's hard sometimes, right? To not be able to offer all the great things yeah. that XYZ Church down the road yeah. is offering. Yeah. Yep. How, does, how does preaching differ, say, from that... First yeah. church plant model that you had an experience with to now you're, you know, founding pastors yeah. of this smaller and int- more intentional neighborhood community. We talk a lot about preaching on the podcast. So, what is that like for you? Well, um, I, I would say that preaching for for me and for us when when Andy was was here too was much less concerned with a polish um, and, and, and more willing to be 
kind of transparent and authentic as the preacher about what is happening in my life, what I'm experiencing, how I'm struggling. Not, not that that doesn't happen sometimes in church growth movement with certain yeah. pastors as well, but there's a level of, um, for lack of a better word, I guess, authenticity. Maybe a vulnerability. Yes. Yep. That's well said too. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that differs. And I think for our people that really matters to them, they appreciate that a lot. Yeah. Right. Um, they're not, the other, they're not looking for, although they wouldn't mind a four week series on relationships. <laughs> and we've actually done that, you know, so I'm not knocking that, but we're, you can knock it. It's okay. <laughs> we're, you know, we're, we're, I would knock it. Okay. You know, we're, we're, <laughs> we're taking a different approach. And so I would say our, our preaching is, is connect, trying to connect people um, to the movement of God in their life right now, where they are, mm. the places and people that they are interacting, where is the movement of God happening and mm. how do you join in that? And so for us, our preaching often has a justice edge to it because we are in the city where we notice a lot of injustice. Yeah. Um, we're trying to pay attention to what might God be asking us to do in response to that. I mean, I think that is a big shift from my previous context to this one, for sure. So are you are you uh, topical? Do you do topical sermons? Do you do text based sermons? How do you go about both? Okay, yeah, both. Like we're going through Mark for sixteen weeks, a chapter a week here. Oh yeah, I looked on your website. So okay, yeah, yep. that's great. Um, but um, so I'll, I'll say yes, topical as well. That can happen. Again, I think we've done something on relationships sure. at some point in the past. Probably your best four weeks <laughs> you, you ever had. <laughs> Attendance was way up for way that series. Up, yeah. <laughs> people were inviting people. It was amazing. Yeah. <laughs> the the thing I would say though, connected to this conversation, is that we will often though use Sunday morning in a way that is different mm. um, than just preaching. Now, preaching is the dominant. Uh, kind of core essential element it still is. I'd say we're influenced by the church growth movement, maybe in that way still. But um, this past summer, we took, I don't know, six, seven, eight weeks to tell stories Mm. of our people and connected that to maybe a story we saw in the scriptures or something that God calls us to, but we let people share where they saw God moving in their life Mm. and the struggle of that, the beauty of that. It was, that was actually one of the most uh, meaningful uh, sermon series huh. that we've done in a while. Yeah. So like, what does a service look like for you guys in general? Like, do you yeah. have like people leading music and we do. scripture readings yep. and all that stuff? Yeah, we do. I mean, I think in, in a lot of ways you would come on a Sunday morning and you'd go, oh, this is church. North American church. <laughs> yeah. It's normal church. It's normal yeah. church, right. Yeah. It's not a cult. There's no snakes. <laughs> <Cults>. <laughs> Although when you're in it, you don't know. So you guys might have to Fair enough. tell me. You might have to tell me. <laughs> We've been accused of being cultish before. <laughs> Wouldn't be the first time. Yeah, yeah there's music, um, you know, and it's, it's, a, it's typical, you know, a band, you know, that you might see in any other church. Uh, again, quite often a sermon. We have communion every week. Mm. Um, that is a Talk about that. Has that, always been, for us. Yeah. has that always been a part of yours? Is that like a, the part of your origin? Well, it's not part of our origin. I think um, the the denomination we're a part of typically in most churches uh, celebrate that once a quarter. Okay. We felt like um, for us, there was no more significant response that we could give yeah. to the word than to, than to practice that together, mm. to receive it together in that way. How do you keep from becoming Roman Catholic when you do that? Yeah. I mean, that's a, I mm-hmm. think that's a legitimate anxiety mm-hmm. that people have. Yeah, I think some folks do too. We try to change the way that we celebrate it. So, you know, we pass it down the rows some weeks. We have people come forward some weeks. Some weeks we just set up stations in the space and invite people if they want to. So that's one way we try and change that to some extent. No, and I think the other thing that we say almost every week, I mean, our folks who are there every week are probably like, oh my gosh, again. But I almost say every week, listen, Communion is, at the branch, an invitation, not an expectation. Mm. And so if this week you need to just let those elements pass by or, or not come forward, because for whatever reason, staying where you are in your seat is, is what is needed to connect to mm. God and what God's saying to you, then do that. Mm. So our people have permission to not do it every week, and it's not a big deal if you don't. Yeah. So I think that maybe, hopefully, helps a little bit, yeah. too. Sure, yeah. sure. 
I love that. And and that's something I've shared on the podcast before. That's something that at our church we have gone from a once a quarter at best, you know, most like once when once we remember. If you remember. Yeah, right, okay. To right. yep. making it a, a monthly thing for mm-hmm. us. So we do it once mm-hmm. a month. And mm-hmm. when we first started making that transition, uh, there was this story that my friend told me he was sitting uh, and the person behind him goes, didn't we like just do this? You know, because <laughs> we had done it and it was so weird. And now we're at the point where once a month it seems normal. Mm-hmm. You know, it's that's mm-hmm. part yep. of our rhythm. Yep. Uh, but there was a little bit of weirdness just because, you know, we're such an, a low liturgy kind of tradition Yep. that it, it was unique and different. But yep. I have found it to be a really meaningful part of what we do now. Mm-hmm. Do you yep. follow the Christian year? Sometimes we talk about that here on the podcast. Yeah, Lent and Advent especially. Um, those two those two seasons have significance for us. We're, we're quite often maybe following even the lectionary during those. We're not this year. But we will enter into Lent with an Ash Wednesday time on an evening. We do a Seder meal on Thursday and then a Good Friday service. And we're often inviting people into some form of practice with the scriptures and maybe with fasting in that Lent season too. So yes, which is new for a lot of our folks. They did not come from backgrounds where that was practiced. Mm -hmm. What about for you personally? Who who have been your your biggest influences? Like what have you read that has encouraged and enriched you as a pastor? Right? We all have the book that like wrecked us, destroyed us, rebuilt us. Boy. Yeah, you know, I, I would say um, for me, it's been an interesting progression, and, and we'll see, you know, what sort of response your listeners have to this. But I'll, I'll be honest with you, I, I've really been um, blessed by the mystics lately, hmm. and both ancient and modern. So Thomas Merton hmm. um, has been big Bob Dylan fan, really helpful to me. Mm-hmm. Yep, I did not know that. He was good to yeah. know. Okay, yeah. well, good to know, and not maybe surprising. Yeah. yeah. Um, these these voices that are trying to invite us into a deep knowing of God that is not just intellectual. Yeah. And, you know, that's where I've spent most of my life and my upbringing in the Christian churches is an in, in an intellectual space. Yeah. I give thanks for that. But um, I'm at a point in my life where I'm very um, curious and interested in in knowing a knowing that is not intellectual, but that's you know something. Would different. you would you leave it sort of undefined like that as just not intellectual, or would it be emotion? Would it be like the biblical language of the heart, like something deeper, or is deep the right metaphor? Yeah, well, I'd say if I'm being you know very honest, I'm not entirely sure. You know, um, when I read these folks, it seems to be yes, something deeper something um, mysterious. So uh, here, here, Matt, for me, I think is one thing, like the intellectual knowing of God is, again, really important, but it can be a form of control, Yeah. right? And I think the knowing that these people are writing about has, is, is a really a complete relinquishing of control to say, God, I, I am knowing you, or I'm open to knowing you in a way that um, is different and is of the heart. Yeah, I would say so. Mm-hmm. Is it always emotional? I'm not so sure about that. That hasn't been my experience, that it's this emotional, high, kind of revelatory, amazing sort of... I'm not sure that's it always, um, or maybe even often. But um, yeah, I don't know. How has your pastoring been shaped by that kind of knowing God more deeply being known by God, maybe some self-understanding, because one of the things that we're interested in is in that in that authenticity, recognizing that we can't be somebody else in pastoral ministry. Boy, no kidding. Gosh, and I wish I had not discovered that so late. Mm-hmm. Hmm. I mean, it is what it is. You know, I um, we all kind of have our journeys and we get there when we get there. Um, but for me, that has been... The, the journey for me in the last two and a half years, almost three now, has been that journey you just described, the journey of really understanding myself and how I have been made by God. You know, this idea of true self, false self, the way that I show up in the world, um, that has been my journey. And it came out of my sabbatical, which I had a few years ago, um, just so important for me. So how does it show up in my pastoral life? 
I'm honestly saying to my people, hey, this is who I am. This is how I can show up sometimes that isn't my truest self. You maybe have noticed that, mm-hmm. you know. Um, I'm honest about the therapy that I've gotten um, and the, the help that a good therapist has been to me in understanding who I am and, and again, how I show up in the world. Um, so, yeah, that, that, that's, the, that's the story of the last few years for me. What, uh, maybe, I don't know if you want to share this, but what was, what was the moment? Like you said, for the last two and a half years, you've been kind of on this journey. What, what happened? What? Well, I, here, I didn't have a particular moment. Yeah. What I had was a series of moments where I kept bumping up against these parts of myself that I had minimal awareness about. I knew something was there, mm. but I, I didn't know what it was. I couldn't name it. I didn't know why it kept showing up. And so I'd be in uh, conflict with my wife, and I would, I would all of a sudden respond in the same way every time. Why do I keep showing up like this? Mm. I don't know. She's really frustrated by the way that I'm showing yeah. up, but I don't know what to do about it, you know? Um, so I had that kind of these these series of moments where me just kind of realizing, gosh, something is not quite as it should be. And I've had hovering over me the last 25 plus years, my dad's death. My dad mm. died when I was 17 from cancer. Mm. And I really never walked through that process of grief as a teenager And so I knew that that was still hanging out there as well. And so when I went into my sabbatical, one of the choices I made was to see a therapist most weeks of that sabbatical. And then I continued for over a year after that because I thought, oh, gosh, this is really helpful. (laughs) So talk about the sabbatical. Yeah. What what happened there? What was How long was it? What what is that? (laughs) What is a sabbatical? (laughs) Well, I didn't know either. I mean, I had never seen anyone take one. You know, in my limited experience. Um, That's for weak pastors. Yeah, for sure. What are you, you taking a vacation? (laughs) (laughs) I wish I could have a vacation. A three-month vacation. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I had to get over that a little bit myself. But I'll tell you what, my, the leaders at my congregation and the congregation as a whole was 100% supportive Mm. of it. And so um, I had been at the branch probably for about 10 years when we started having this conversation about what, it, what would it be like for me to take three months away. Um, I applied for a grant mm. and received a grant that allowed me to do some really wonderful once-in-a-lifetime sort of things, which I'm happy to talk about. But I would say what was most formative in that sabbatical for me was the therapy, yeah. the reading I did, and then the space to do nothing. Mm. And in that space, when finally all of the noise of my life and my responsibilities quieted down, and it took, I would say, almost half of the sabbatical, like a good four to six weeks. But when there was finally a quieting, oh, they didn't go away, a quieting of those voices, I could start to hear other things. Mm. I could start to pay attention to other things. I could ask questions about myself, about my leadership that I had no capacity or bandwidth to ask in the midst of the daily grind of doing this whole deal. So, um, gosh, it was, it was such a gift. I just can't say that enough. It kind of sounds like you'd recommend it. <laughs> I'm planning my next one. I'm trying to, how many years do I have to wait again to do another one? Oh, I would Six, absolutely. Right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Jim's, Jim's already done the math. <laughs> he can do that, that much math. Yeah, it was, I would say to anyone, you, you need, this isn't, oh, you should, no, you, you need to do this. Um, you this is do one this. of the things we don't talk about very much, and that's the kind of the self-care of the pastor, mm-hmm. allowing yourself to be put back together again by some kind of resource. So that's intentional yep. space, uh, time away from the ministry, taking vacations, which are often hard yeah. to do, or this extended time mm-hmm. or even, or even just the therapy of mm-hmm. allowing somebody else who's completely objective with regard to you and with regard to your ministry to give you that outside look. Yeah. And, and hopefully they're doing it from a faith based perspective and they can incorporate what you believe about scripture and, and uh, sanctification process as yep. part of that. Yep. 
but to have that additional input just seems so important for the health and longevity of a ministry. And it sounds to me, as you kind of describe it in your relationship with your congregation, you kind of, I don't want to say you earned it, but I mean, like you, it sounds like you two, you and the congregation were, were so part of this that in the same way that you understand when someone in your own family needs a break or needs yeah. a rest and you, you, it's not a, a drag, but it's something that you are excited and celebrate with them. And I just kind of that embedding in that community kind of put you in that place where you knew each other and your, maybe your vulnerability and your authentic authenticity with the congregation kind of allowed that conversation maybe to, to happen. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. That is why I think they were so gracious and generous to me because they, they said, we really think this could be valuable for you. And if you go and experience this, even though we really don't know what it will mean or how it will all play out, we think you will come back to us better, wholer, healthier, and that will be good for us too. So again, they were just unbelievably kind and gracious and it was it was beautiful it was a gift so what happened when you're gone who preached who who preached who led the church um other staff people filled the gap immensely we have two other part-time staff folks um teresa and nate um they were huge our leadership our elders and deacons stepped up and led we had some guest folks come in and preach we had some of our own people preach we did some sundays without preaching Mm. um so yeah yeah, we did a variety of things. It reminds me of uh, this chapter in, in, I think, the contemplative pastor when Peterson is talking about how he had just spent so much time filling his schedule with things because of these expectations that he thought people were expecting him to do things. And he thought to himself, what would happen if I just stopped doing them? And he said, and I just stopped. And the church kept going. <laughs> kept going. And he realized at that point that, oh, maybe I'm not as important oh, as I think. Man. And there's just this freedom mm-hmm. that comes along with that mm-hmm. of like, you know, we kind of create in our minds this, you know, if what if, what if I don't do this? How will the church survive? Yeah. And uh, or I'm so essential to this yeah. ministry. I can't stop. That's exactly. right. Yeah, I've got right. Absolutely. And that. It's almost cliche. I think when I talk to other pastors who've taken sabbaticals, they say something similar. So I've heard what you've just said, Jim, repeatedly, but I experienced it to yeah. be true too. I came to realize I'm not as important as I think I am. Yeah. And they came to discover, wow, look at us. Yeah. Um, we're, we're really glad Chris is back. We're, yeah. we're, we're so you know we're happy about that. We're grateful for him. But look at what we did together. There's a maturity in mm-hmm. the congregation mm-hmm. that comes out of that. Right? It was beautiful. Yeah. yeah. So a couple of the stock questions that we ask, we'll go back to this. We haven't asked this for a long time. The pastoral interview questions, just to round things off here, what is the greatest joy that you have in ministry, and what's the biggest grind that you experience? The joy is easy. Uh, that's, that's easy for me to name, but I want to end on that note. Um, <laughs> the grind, I think it's uh, in some ways that Sunday is always coming. Yes. You know, you get done with one. I mean, I did it this week. Um, you know, finished preaching and led a conversation on how we read the Bible after church with a great mm. group of people and got done and was just really tired. Yeah. And But uh, already my mind is on Sunday yeah. evening thinking about the next yeah. week. And um, so that that's the grind, I yeah. think, for me. Um, uh, the, the joy is walking with people as they discover their life in God. Mm. I mean, as, as duh as that sounds maybe for a pastor to say, but to see people discover who they are, the kindness of God in their life, the movement of the spirit around them and in them. I mean, that, that's just the, the money, you know, that's why I keep doing what I, what I'm doing. That's so beautiful. And and I resonate with that because that's Mm. the same with me. But one thing I've learned is that it takes, noticing to do that right because it's not so much the the compliment you get from somebody after a sermon which is really a throwaway in my mind like i don't Mm -hmm. i'm I'm grateful that people say something but i don't really care you know because whatever but you have to you have to be aware you have to notice you have to be in the lives of your congregation to see those moments where like oh they're changing the way that they operate at work oh their marriage is now moving in a different direction and it takes that kind of 
I don't know, intentional presence. Presence, yeah. yeah. I think that's the right word. And that's been the journey of of the last few years. As you, right, as we do this work of understanding ourselves, how we show up in the world, we're more able to be actually in the moment with people. Um, And so that word of presence has been really significant. Mm -hmm. I would resonate with that a lot. Mm -hmm. Thanks so much for being with us, Chris. It's just so, um, it's just really heartwarming and wonderful to hear of your love for your congregation and your walk with them. And thanks for sharing your insights. It's a joy to be here. Thanks for having me. You've been listening to the Pastoral Calling Podcast with Jim Shamaria and me, Matt Loverin. Join us every two weeks as we start a new conversation about life and leadership in the local church. If you like us, make sure you follow us on SoundCloud or on iTunes, and also tell all your friends so they can join the conversation. Thank you.